Off-market is usually what we target and, and what we go after. Um, less competition there. We're direct to seller. We might not pay commissions if, if we found the deal ourselves. Sometimes we have broker networks where we would pay commissions, but they're sending it to their investor community. Uh, so getting on those lists and, and communicating with those brokers and them knowing, having confidence in us that we're going to go out, we're going to close the deal. They're going to be able to, they pass us something and we're going to be able to execute. It goes really a long way that they're going to continue to feed us opportunities because they know we can support the overall acquisition. There's a lot of real estate deals that don't go through based on lack of ability to perform by buyers, I would say. It's tough for the average person to really be able to source off-market deals. Cause it's one of those things that's like, like if you're sending out, let's say postcards, you're not really sending out a hundred postcards and getting a deal off that. You never know, you may, but it's one of those things that you gotta filter through thousands and thousands and thousands of leads and people in order to find a deal that's worthwhile to look at. Um, and after, and it takes, multiple leads and deals to look at in order to find one that's that's worth pursuing so again there's oftentimes that on deals that we're closing it's not something that we just hey we just talked to this owner recently and now we're closing on it. it's hey no we've been we spent a lot of money up front to acquire this as a lead and that we've worked at it over the last year two years of follow-up and now we're finally getting to a closing table with these leads so it's a it's a business within itself Hey, here we are again. What's up, Mr. What's Mark? What's up, Adam? How we doing? Oh, dude, really good. Thank you for asking. Happy Monday. Is it Monday? It could be Sunday, Saturday. Don't know. Friday. Yeah, happy day to you, buddy. Yeah. What, what's your plans today? Uh, well, today, gonna chat with you on camera and uh, then fly home. Ooh, thank yeah. God. Yeah, about time. Yeah, thank it's you. been a good day, exciting day, and yeah. uh, our time together is coming to an end. Can't wait. Mark gets a little grumpy when he hasn't had a drink yet, so just it is about so everybody is aware he has not had a cocktail yet, and he's just starting to itch. Yeah, so. yeah. So I do apologize up front. It is about cocktail time, especially hanging out with this guy. It's pretty much mandatory to drink cocktails. Put up with you. If we're gonna be, we're gonna have cameras in front of us. We might as well just be honest with. You. Yeah, I would like that. Yeah, I think the crowd would also like you to be honest. Yeah. So it's, yeah this time for a cocktail so if, after this. during this episode if at some point he just starts violently sweating it is, be <laughs> it is because he has not had a drink yes <laughs> yeah there may be another video too out there where it, i am sweating a little bit for some for some reason yeah a little bit yeah uh, so it's okay. always the check before a and a am i am i good yeah but i, th I think yeah. i'm looking good now you were right? pouring sweat that day am i looking good now <laughs> you were pouring sweat that day hey. Hey. uh all right well today we're going to talk about a fund structure versus a syndicate structure yes so sir. lead us off my friend yes sir so they're oftentimes confused for the same thing and to be honest when we first were looking in the fund syndications we didn't know the difference either. Yeah, just sort of use the name synonymously. Yeah, so after many tens of thousands of dollars later and setting up our own fund, we now know the difference between the two, which you would hope so after you spent lots and lots and lots of money on it. But 
I don't know if we, it took us that long to figure it out. I mean, we recognized it by the deal structure. That's why well, we chose the deal structure. Yeah, so. but, but the reason why you would do a syndicate versus a fund and really the what the purpose of, even though we kind of knew up front, now that we set up the fund, you start to really realize, oh, it's like, oh, hey, this is really beneficial for this compared to a syndicate. So a syndicate is... A legal structure that's set up to be able to raise money from individuals and other businesses, entities, whatnot, for a single deal. So somebody will put a send it. Somebody, let's say, finds an apartment complex. They're looking to raise money for it. They can pay to have a, a syndicate formed, and now they're raising money legally, raising money to purchase that one asset. Compared to a fund, is an open can be closed ended, open ended that we can talk a bit more in a minute, but a fund you're investing money into more or less a, a company, a, a, an individual, and you're not giving them money. Again, it's a structure that's set up, but you're investing in multiple deals. So a fund is going out and raising money and you're investing in the fund mm -hmm. and that fund will take the money and will go out and find avenues to invest in like multifamily, self-storage, things like that. So at a very high level, we'll break down uh, some more differences between them, but at a very high level, that's that's a difference between a fund and a syndicate. So I guess one thing to start off with talking about the differences would be capital requirements between investing in a fund versus uh, investing in a syndicate, if you want to chat about that. Yeah, and t we're going to talk about maybe different scenarios of why you might have a syndicate or a fund. They both have their own scenarios, I would say. We'll communicate why we chose a fund for Cherry Pick Capital, for instance. So. Capital requirements was one of those pieces. So <clears throat> within a syndicate, you pool together some outside investors. It's a single deal. Oftentimes the capital requirements are much higher because it's a single deal that you're going after together. And so each individual needs to contribute a larger amount. With a fund model, usually you can see a lower uh, minimum investment requirement because you oftentimes will have more investors. So more investors, lower capital requirement. And when we were looking at it for us, why we chose a fund for Cherry Pick Capital was the idea that we knew friends, family, uh, we wanted to give them access to the deals, didn't necessarily want to say, hey, we're going to need 50K as minimum investment. We knew people that were going to be uh, maybe on on uh, you know 15k or 20k sort of style, and wanted to allow them access to the deals that we're pursuing as well. So that one was a big one for us, and and also communicating with a larger group, um, allowing us to talk to more investors, get more people involved in the fund, and have a, a lower barrier of entry. And the other piece is is asset ownership. So maybe touch on on that one. Yeah, so with a syndicate, you own a part of the entity that's set up to purchase that one property. Um, and again, with a syndicate, you're only pursuing that one property and that's it. Once you purchase it, um, then that syndicate is kind of done with. It's still set up while you're managing the property and whatnot. But if you want to go out and pursue another property, you'd have to set up another syndicate for another property to where a fund, you actually own shares within the fund itself. And mm -hmm. again... Uh, you can have an open-ended fund where the fund will continue in perpetuity, or you can have a closed-ended fund saying, hey, we're going to be, this fund's going to be around for 
seven, eight, 10 years, whatever it is, we're gonna raise money for the first two or three years. And then after that, we're gonna close off this fund in regards to accepting additional money. And then the fund will continue to operate the assets that it buys. And it will continue to buy assets um, up until that seven, eight, nine, 10 year mark, what, whatever that is. So uh, with the fund, there's definitely more ability to have diversified investments, which was another attraction for us was Hey, instead of setting up a syndicate and just going after this one asset and having to set up another one and go after this asset, we had investors that wanted to kind of invest in us. Mm-hmm. And they knew that we could go out and we could find deals and we could find cash flowing deals and whatnot. So for us with, with the fund, we were able to pull monies together and been able to purchase apartments with it, self-storage with it, things like that, which helps diversify our portfolio. So if let's say multifamily sector takes a bit of a hit for whatever reason, we do have other asset classes of let's say self-storage that could potentially help offset offset that. So that was a major attraction for us when we first set it up. Yeah, absolutely. So you have that diversification across those different asset classes. We're picking up a self-storage facility now. We have multifamily in the fund today, along with private money lending. So on single family, so you look at that, the diversification across those different asset classes adds a lot of value. And then diversification across different markets as well. So we have a multifamily property in a small town called Fort Madison, Iowa. That's done, done really well for us. Cash flows really well. Uh, and now we're picking up uh, self-storage in Council Bluffs, Iowa. And we've done private money lending uh, for uh, single family in Omaha, Nebraska. So yeah. kind of all the different asset classes allows you to have more protection, downside protection, along with some upside opportunity as well. So that diversification kind of plays a, a good role from uh, opportunity for appreciation along with uh, downside protection. Yeah. And with both a, a fund and a, and a syndicate, it's a uh, it's often passive investing for somebody to invest in, in either one of those. Mm-hmm. You're not the one that's going out there and sourcing the deals, funding the deals, managing the deals. So a, a big reason for us to set up the, for us a fund, but could be a syndicate too, was like I said, we did have a lot of family friends that wanted to get involved in real estate and, but didn't, but had full-time jobs. They just liked the appeal of real estate and the potential returns. Uh, so with both, they're definitely passive and people like like our investors are looking for guys like us that can go out and be able to source deals. So if you want to chat a little bit about our access to deals compared to maybe what an average individual may come across. If you're going to go out and try to f- invest in a property yourself, the first piece is finding the right deal. That sets everything up for a good opportunity and a pleasant experience within real estate. And with that, that's that's us doing a lot of due diligence on our end to find the deal, underwrite the deal, and, and bring it to the table to investors. But that front end, finding the right deal is not easy to come by. As you can imagine, uh, anything that goes out to the MLS is, is highly visible. And what might have started as a decent deal when it got listed, there's 10 other people now interested and it gets... Uh, price gets run up, yeah, right? Yeah. And so off market is usually what we target and, and what we go after. Um, less competition there. 
we're direct to seller. We might not pay commissions if, if we found the deal ourselves. Sometimes we have broker networks where we would pay commissions, but they're sending it to their investor community. Uh, so getting on those lists and, and communicating with those brokers and them knowing, having confidence in us that we're going to go out, we're going to close the deal. They're going to be able to, they pass us something and we're going to be able to execute. It goes really a long way that they're going to continue to feed us opportunities because they know we can support the overall acquisition. There's a lot of real estate deals that don't go through based on lack of ability to perform by buyers, I would say. Um, so making sure that it's the right fit there. So that that's where uh, that deal flow is super important. Uh, you've been able to, to hire and train cold callers that do direct outreach. So large data sets calling through those lists to be able to get people to sell their, their housing. Yeah. It's um, a whole business in itself in regards to sourcing the off market deals. It is. And the, the staff, the callers, the assistants, getting all the data, working all the leads. There's oftentimes leads that we're working that we've been working on for one, two, three years that we just have in our system and we're doing consistent follow-up with these guys to hit them at the right time when, when they are ready to sell. But yeah, that whole business is spending tens of thousands of dollars every month supporting that side of business strictly to to access off-market deals. And you can do it on, on a much lower scale, but unless you're willing to invest the time, the resources to kind of build a team around it, it's tough for the average person to really be able to source off-market deals. Because it's one of those things that's like, like if you're sending out, let's say postcards, you're not really sending out a hundred postcards and getting a deal off that. You never know, you may, but it's one of those things you got to filter through thousands and thousands and thousands of leads and people in order to find a deal that's worthwhile to look at. Um, and after, and it takes multiple leads and deals to look at in order to find one that's, that's worth pursuing. So Again, there's oftentimes that on deals that we're closing, it's not something that we just, hey, we just talked to this owner recently and now we're closing on it. It's, hey, no, we've been, we spent a lot of money up front to acquire this as a lead and that we've worked at it over the last year, two years of follow-up and now we're finally getting to a closing table with these leads. So it's a, it's a business within itself. It is, yeah, absolutely. That deal flow is critical. Again, finding the right deal, you're gonna be, in a vastly different uh, position if you get it right from the start. Yeah. You can always uh, try to optimize once you have it. You might uh, be able to, to drive down expenses, increase rents, but getting it at the right price is, is really critical at the front end. Yeah, and this kind of leads into another bullet point I wanted to bring up was difference between like an active and passive investor. A lot of people within the fund today are, are full-time employees, uh, W-2 workers uh, make their money and, and focus their energy and time and resources toward um, that career, that employment, and don't want to invest in real estate, don't have the time, uh, don't have the knowledge necessarily to go af after those deals themselves, uh, or maybe even the capacity. So one of the benefits as well that you can pool in money is you can go after bigger deals and, and run effectively those, those larger projects. So as a passive investor, you end up investing your money, getting the returns, but you're not bogged down by the intricacies of day-to-day -day operation of a real estate fund. Whereas an active investor, 
it's the flip, as you can imagine, right? You're going out, you're finding the deals, you're managing the deals, you're managing the people to manage the property. Uh, there's, there's a lot there and, and that's awesome. If, if that's the route that you want to go, I mean, obviously we are active real estate investors and, and we would be the first people to help anybody in the space. Um, but also recognize that it's not for everybody. It, it's a passive investment is a great opportunity to be able to invest in real estate, get access to deals, yet not be absorbed by each and every piece of that business. Yeah, we have a handful of investors in our fund that were active investors at one point and mm -hmm. realized, hey, active investing's not for me for whatever rhyme or reason and decided to sell off some of their assets. Like one investor, I ended up buying a, a handful of properties from him. Um, we structured it with owner financing, so he was still making a return off those properties after I bought them because he financed them for me. Um, and they started seeing, hey, I love this passive income. And then he was he was one of the first ones on board once we formed the fund to invest more money. Yeah. And another buddy that, same thing, same scenario kind of as you where he bought, he was out of state, he bought a few houses from me in Omaha, um, got them managed by a management company. Things were going well, management companies management, but oftentimes like you made, you made a mention a second ago, you gotta manage those management companies yeah. as well. And he was just getting frustrated with how the management company was handling some things when, sometimes when you're investing as a side business, let's say, uh, instead of having to be a full-time business, sometimes things can be a little bit more personal to you. So for him, when tenants would go in and they'd move out and they'd leave a property, a, a complete mess, he, he would, he got bummed out about it. Like he affected them a lot more than what affects us, me. And it really started to get to him to where it just wasn't attractive anymore. Even though he was making a decent return off it, he was getting some of the benefits of being an active investor. Um, it just, it wasn't for him. So he ended up selling off a couple properties that he owned and now is, now is investing with us passively and and loves it he still gets a similar return oftentimes maybe a little bit higher than better yeah he was getting now yeah. or before and now it's he doesn't do anything besides gives gives us money and then gets a gets a check every quarter yeah and that's when you're looking on paper and like oh i'm, I'm just gonna go out and invest in my own real estate and uh and then i kind of have control and and whatever the the rationale is that you went out and, and was an active investor for real estate but then all of a sudden realize that sometimes it, it doesn't go out as planned yeah and you end up not making the returns that you had expected you're uh not operating it as let's say the most efficient business sometimes based on uh, your contractors might be a little higher priced than than what we're getting because we're doing things at volume. The price of laborers, price of materials, the renovations, the overall strategy of the renovation, all of that might be a higher cost for somebody doing it by themselves or has one property or two properties in comparison to, to us and what we're operating. And then the last piece is, is diversification. And, and if all of a sudden your furnace goes out, your AC goes out, um, in my, my property, when I bought from you, the tree fell like three months in that ripped up my driveway yeah. and that ate up my income, my profit for a year. Yeah. It was like three grand and I was uh, cash flowing at like 300 yeah. a month sort of thing. So yeah. almost a whole year. 
And whereas if you have other properties to offset some of those things, it's not as drastic of an impact to you. And then on top of that, the bigger things that you can go after with a, a fund or a syndicate, you have oftentimes tied into that property already some level of diversification. You're going after a bigger building. It's a multifamily facility. One unit goes down, you have another 50. You have another 100, whatever the size is of that. Same thing, self-storage. Hey, I, I haven't rented one of the units. Well, you have 99 others. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, an important piece as well to consider when you're thinking about active versus uh, passive investing. What are the true returns that I, I can achieve through my own active investment? What is my, my true goal and aspiration? Am I investing in real estate because I think it's cool and sexy? Uh, and I, I want to buy a house. Awesome. Great. Um, or am I just trying to get a return? I want to focus my time and energy with, with the family, with my current employer, with other areas to go drive revenue that you can go invest in real estate and, uh, hopefully take that money and go retire early or whatever the heck you want to yeah. do with it. Right. Get For your, sure. get your time back. For sure. Yeah. Um, That's a big one. So having that opportunity of, of, syndicate and fund model allows you to go buy bigger things and and there's some value there for sure yeah what are some of the the key takeaways or or any additional points that you're thinking about as far as syndicate versus fund i would say just looking or knowing that there's you can passively invest in real estate when i first got started in real estate i really didn't i thought when you were in real estate investments you were the one that was buying the properties, being an active investor, doing all that stuff. I didn't know there's opportunities to where, hey, I could just take this money and give it to a fund or invest it into a fund or syndicate mm-hmm. and sit back and in theory collect paychecks on it. So having conversations with more and more people, you start to realize, hey, these guys don't know that there's an opportunity to pa- to invest passively. They think it, again, they think it's all hands-on and uh, completely different than what you do when when you're investing in a fund or syndicate. So I would say that that's one thing that really stands out to me is if you're looking to get into real estate to explore both being an active investor and what that looks like and entails, but then also, hey, what does, how does that compare to just me investing passively into a, a fund or a syndicate? Yeah. And that comparison of somebody running the business as a full-time job and career. Yeah in comparison to real estate investing as I'll call it a hobby. Um, maybe somebody may not like that, that terminology, but it, right. It's like, you know, in the background and kind of more of a hobby versus a uh, full-time job. Yeah. And within any type of business, real estate's no different of how do you squeeze out the most out of a business and it's time, energy, focus, and execution. And with that, you want somebody that's on the ground, in the weeds, squeezing out all that can be within that property, all the profitability within that property. And that comes from operational expenses, comes from finding the right deals. It comes from driving rents, understanding the market rents. Uh, It comes from tax benefits, depreciation, and doing things that we're doing around like cost segregation studies. Yeah. Uh, When I was starting out in real estate, I knew nothing about that. And I think there's still a lot of people within real estate that don't know cost segregation study. 
Yeah. And on a smaller facility, it may not make sense for, for just a single active investor, but on the bigger stuff that we're pursuing, it is a game changer. Huge, yeah. It, it allows our investors uh, to be able to write down taxes, yeah, uh, we, decrease their tax impact. We have some investors that strictly invest in the fund for that benefit of the depreciation that we can offer. Absolutely, yeah. So you start to see um, some big impact from a tax perspective and an overall uh, return on your money by looking uh, at a fund or a syndicate model and having somebody that's operating it uh, at their, their true capacity versus, let's say, again, kind of doing real estate as a hobby. Yeah. And not trying to deter anybody one way or the other, trying to just bring light at the fact that- There's options. Yeah, there's options. And it's not as always sort of cut and dry, like, oh, well, I, I could just go do it myself. You can. But just consider uh, what you're signing up for from a time impact, what you could be doing with that time and energy and, and potentially making more money in your day job, for instance, Yeah, uh, and that's... pushing that back to real estate and growing the portfolio that way in a, in a passive way. Yeah, I think that's one thing people don't take into consideration is their amount of time doing stuff. And I think people undervalue their time pretty considerably. Sure. So yeah. sometimes at the end of the day, you're putting in all this time, sweat, and tears in, into this property, thinking that, hey, I'm kind of ahead of the game because I did all that stuff on my own. Where in reality, all that time that you put in, like you like you mentioned earlier, maybe that time could have been put more towards something else that would have benefited you a little bit more mm -hmm. and instead just invested passively and still see the same returns, just took a fraction of the time to see those same returns. Yeah, exactly somebody that's focused on generating your the largest profit, but also the least amount of uh, risk. Yeah. Uh, largest amount of downside protection. So um, those are the big takeaways for me. And, and uh, always interesting to look at the models between fund and syndicate and where it might make sense to, to roll in fund versus syndicate for us, as we had talked about, just big benefits around having the structure set up, people can continue to invest. We can continue to go buy assets. We don't have to sort of go through the, the additional legal route every single time that we're buying new properties. We're just rolling it into the, the same fund and giving investor um, access and diversification and, and risk tolerance. Cool. Awesome, brother. Sounds good. You did yeah, good, bud. Appreciate it. Good job.